0: What's up guys, super pumped to have you here, super pumped for this topic today. It has been the most requested, if you have been following my journey for, I mean, depends on how long, 10 years, then you know me from my addiction days to my sober days, you've watched that transition. If you've been following since I started my first network marketing business five years ago, you've watched my full-time Corporate America days in transition into my full-time entrepreneurship days. So whatever journey you're coming in on, I want to just thank you for following along. But secondly, I want you to know that I always want to add value to your life. I don't want to just speak nothingness into you. I want to add value. And for me to do that means that I have to be vulnerable with my life and the things that I've learned through my own trial and error. So today I got asked, what keeps you going? What gets you up every day? What keeps you wanting to show up even when you don't want to, to build what you've built? And like I said, if you're new around here, I am a high school dropout. I've been sober almost 10 years. And I have built a multi-million dollar business online through social media, and I lead a tribe of over 3,800 women from all over the world who all have one thing in common. They're willing to bet on themselves. So, to answer this question, it stopped me in my tracks. She said, how do you have that much self-love to?" Keep going, even when things get hard and you can't see the end result. I thought about it for a second, and the thoughts that started to spiral into my mind had absolutely nothing to do with me. A little backstory, when I was 18 years old, and this story is probably the most pivotal part of my life, When I was 18 years old, I had already dropped out of high school two years prior. I was in an an abusive domestic violence relationship where I was going to high school at the age of 16 with busted lips and black eyes. I grew up in a culture where it was okay for men to hit their women. And it was even more important for the woman to respect the man. And in that culture, it usually means the women don't have friends who are guys. They don't wear a lot of makeup. They don't get dressed up nice. Because when you're with an insecure man, all they want to do is tear you down. They don't want you to look good because they don't want anybody else looking at you. So that was my first experience with love. The first person I ever loved. The first person I lost my virginity to. That was it. Now I tell you this part of my story because it's such a pivotal part in my life. Having gone through that at such a young age and being told through actions, that this is what love is. At the age of 16, I was experiencing what most domestic violence relationships experience when women are in their late 30s with multiple kids. I had this insight that people my age wouldn't even experience, hopefully never experience, but if they did at some point, it wouldn't be till later on in life. I tell you this because the things that we go through aren't meant to break us. They're meant to shape us and we get to decide if what we go through and the lesson that we've learned from it is right or wrong. If we like how it makes us feel or we don't and what we do about it. I want this to be a story of strength and resilience and never giving up, a story of learning your worth because that story is real, that story is mine, and that story is yours. You're in control. So thank you for listening. Let's keep going. So when I was 18 years old, I was strung out on drugs in this extremely, actually I had already left the relationship, but I was still lost. I had no ambitions, I had no drive, I was strung out every single day. I had nothing going for me. And in the culture that I grew up in, like I said, most of my friends didn't either. If you had a job, you were successful, no matter what job it was. I remember when I got my first job at Pizza Hut, all my friends started calling me because they knew that then I had money, and then I got a car, and now I was the transportation. It's funny how we don't realize the cultures that we grow up in shape who we are, but when we become adults, we all of a sudden wanna compare like we should all be the same. We're not the same. We shouldn't wanna be. So when I was 18 years old, I decided that I no longer wanted to live anymore. But instead of taking my own life, I decided that I'd take the high road, the coward way, and I'd just run from it all. I didn't have a passport, so I couldn't fly to a different country. I didn't know anybody in a different state, and that didn't feel rebellious enough to me. But I did know a couple people in Mexico. So what did I do? Impulsiveness is what drug addicts are known for. Because the drugs numb your feelings. You have none. You have no conscience. You have no idea what the repercussions of your decisions will cause. Because you're not thinking that far ahead. You're not thinking at all. You're just feeling. You're feeling whatever the drugs make you feel. And that's it. So... I remember my mom and I had just gotten into a fight. I went upstairs, and I said goodbye to her. She told me to go to my room. I told her I loved her. I went downstairs. I called one of my friends, and I asked them to take me to TJ. I told them we were just going to go down for the day. I knew that if I told them I was going to leave forever, they wouldn't take me. So they picked me up. So they picked me up. and we went down. We got some tacos. I had my whole bag packed with all my cutest outfits. I had four hundred dollars cash and fifty dollars in quarters. That was a lot of money. I remember when we finished walking around downtown and I ate those tacos. I said, hey, I want you to drop me off at the airport. She looked at me and she says, what? I said, yeah, I'm not coming back. I want you to drop me off at the airport. We quarreled. She begged me not to. My other friend was in disbelief. I had no feelings. I just wanted to go. So she did. She knew that nothing was going to stop me. She knew that if she didn't do it, then I would find somebody else who would. And it's funny, because I had a conversation with her about three weeks ago. And I hadn't talked to her in probably nine years. She said that exact thing. I knew that if I didn't do it, you would find somebody else who would. So I took off. I took a flight from tijuana to mexico city i figured out how to take a train from mexico city to a town called carretero it's actually a county called carretero and the town that i lived in was called san juan which is funny because the same hometown that i was coming from was called San Juan Capistrano. My first two months were amazing. I had cash. I had a couple friends down there, but they were just visiting. So the first two months were just on fire. I was 18 years old. I had no responsibilities. I didn't have to deal with anybody on my back. I was still able to afford my habit I had money in hand, we were roaming the streets, I was learning the culture, I was submerged in the culture, and I was accepted, and it felt new, and it felt fun. It was that instant gratification that I... So I lasted two months, but I stayed nine. So that means that those seven months that I lasted were pure hell. There was some good in there, but I started to fight it because I was so hurting. I was so miserable. I was so broken. I had died once. I was living in an abandoned house with, with no windows, no doors, and a hole in the roof. Because in Mexico, homes aren't usually built to buy. You usually have to build it yourself. And whoever built this one left it half done. But it was my home for seven months, so I'm grateful for that. During those seven months, I overdosed once. I was broke. I was painting houses for $5 a day, and all I wanted to do was get out. Those seven months were fueled by ego and hate, scarcity and despair, desperation was all I felt 24-7. I'll never forget what happened nine months later, what caused the pivot, what caused that mindset change. I was laying down on this mattress I had found that I had brought into this abandoned home, and I was looking up at the sky through this hole in the ceiling. Remember the hole that I would get my my water to drink when it rained and my water to shower when it rained. This same hole when it didn't rain, the night sky was clear. I could see every star and every planet clearly. There was no light obstruction. It was just me alone and my higher power. That night I remember this thought popped into my head. What if you go back to school? What if you go back and start over? Look at everything you've been through and overcome. You could become a lawyer. You couldn't actually make something of yourself. Go back to school, get a degree. You don't have to stay like this. You're still young. And that one thought became an obsession. And that obsession fueled a feeling in me of possibility. That next day, the first thing I thought when I woke up was I remembered a phone number. The only phone number I remembered, it was my grandmother. I went and I painted a house for the day so that I could get that extra $5 so that I can get a phone call card and I can make that call. I picked up the phone. My hands were shaking. My voice was shaking. I already had tears running down my face. My ego was telling me that they'll never forgive you. Don't do this. You're never going to amount to anything, was what my fear told me. You've already made it this far. Just stay stuck. You've proven that you're not not worth it. You're not capable. You're just going to ruin people's life if you go back. But that thought in the back of my mind, like a gnat in your ear, I could hear it even through the fear, the debilitating fear that almost caused me not to press send. It was, it was louder. That desire to see what I could do was more powerful than that need to stay where I already was. So I made that phone call. My grandmother picks up the phone. Hello? Hey, Grandma. Maggie? Is that you? I started bawling. Yes, Grandma. It's me. I only have three minutes. That's all I can afford. I'm ready to come home. Just tell us where you are. Tell us where we are, where you are. Are you safe? Is that a baby in the background? Are you okay? Did you have a baby? It had been nine months since I had talked to a single one of my family members. Last I heard, they all assumed I was dead. A part of me honestly wish I was. I had caused so much devastation and destruction within my family throughout the years due to drug abuse that... I was even hesitant making that phone call with those thoughts in my mind. But that what if was more powerful. I said, Grandma, I have three minutes. I'm so sorry. I'm ready to come home. She said, Where are you? I said, I'm in a city called Carretero. I don't know how, I don't know how to tell you to send the money. She goes, Okay, I'm gonna go to the library. I'm going to go look up how I could get you money, and I'm going to call this phone back. You stay close to it. I hung up the phone. I went outside that store around the corner into an alley, and I bawled my eyes out harder than I've ever cried in my life, but it was almost a sigh of relief. I hadn't used that day. I was feeling, and I was relieved to hear my grandmother's voice, a place of home, a woman who has never hurt me, But a woman that I caused so much pain to and she still loved me unconditionally. That happiness pain was more than I had ever received because it was completely unjudgmental. I remember even in that moment thinking, wow, I want to give this kind of love to somebody else. This feels so good. So I sat in the alley. I picked myself up. I washed my face. Kept my shoulders high. I said, she's going to call back. She's going to call back. Two hours went by. I kept going in every 15 minutes. Hey, was there a call? Was there a call? No, no. I waited another 15 minutes. Two and a half hours had gone by right now and the lady walks out and she goes, hey, hey, Chula, you got a phone call. I stood up, wanting to run to the phone, but shaking of fear of what she was going to say on the other end. Was I stuck? Did she decide not to want me home? I picked up that phone call. My hand was shaking. I had to use two hands to even hold the phone up to my ear, because it was going from my forehead to the back of my head. It was shaking so much. She said, I'm sending $1,000 through Western Union to the address of the phone number that you're calling from. I said, how long is it gonna take? She said, it's gonna take about three days. My time had run up, somebody was waiting. The lady at the store let me use the phone for free. She paid for my call because I couldn't even afford it. For three days. I slept outside that convenience store for three days. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to sleep. I wanted to just go home. I wanted to start fresh. This vision, this thought that I had curated of what I could become became real and I owed it to myself to realize that if I go back, everything has to be different everything. My choices, my mindset, the way I apologize, the way I get up every day and decide to do something or not do something, not doing something is not an option. I now knew what it was like to not do anything, and I hated it. So for three days, I slept in front of this convenience store on the street. A couple stray dogs came up. I remember a couple people tried to mess with me, but I learned to wear baggy clothes and a hood so people could never tell that I was a girl. They never messed with me if they knew I wasn't a girl. Can you imagine the state of depression I was in? No confidence, constantly hiding who I was so that I wasn't abused or attacked trying to find a place to live and sleep and where to get food. The one thing I never did was I never begged. I never stood at the corner and begged for money. But I worked, and I'd take any job that came my way, painting houses, detailing cars, serving at restaurants. It never lasted, though. I was too hooked on drugs. The same mentality, the same routine, the same habits that I had in the U.S., I brought there. I thought that a change of scenario would change me. It not only changed me for the worst, but it changed me for the better. I had to hit that rock bottom to realize that I can't go any further. And I have to go up. I want to go up. I need to go up. I want nothing more than to get out of this and start fresh that vision. Go to school, get a degree, make something of yourself. I knew it would be a long road because I dropped out when I was 16 years old. So I was still super far behind, but I was willing to put in the work. That money order came and I'll never forget the first thing I did was I gave 500 of it to the family that originally helped me but kicked me out because I was on drugs. They didn't have a door or windows on their house either. Now they did. It's in that moment that I handed them that money that I knew that a switch had flipped. I no longer wanted to use this for selfish purposes. I wanted to give That feeling that I felt from my grandmother in that moment made me want to give and give that feeling to another. I took the rest of the money and I took a train from Caretro to Mexico City and a flight from Mexico City to Tijuana and a taxi from Tijuana airport to the Tijuana border. I remember when I got to the border, they said I had to walk because I didn't have a passport. I had already been in the system as a kid, so my fingerprint was in the system. So I always get that question, how did you get back? How did they prove that you belonged here without any identification? Because what I came back with was a coin that my grandfather had given me. One pair of jeans covered in paint, a shirt, no bra, and some tennis shoes. I had nothing I started fresh ground zero square one and I liked it I was determined to bring none of my shit back into this life I walked across that border and I had to get a new taxi because my taxi had already been taken and there was this guy waiting so I got into the taxi and he said where to my first thought was I gotta go see my mom and then my ego kicked in. You've hurt her so bad. She'll never forgive you. Don't go there. You don't belong there. You'll just never have to talk to her again. Just let her assume you're dead. It'll probably be easier than you coming back. So I told the taxi, I said, I want you to take me to here. It was a place called Pacific Hills Treatment Center. I had been there twice before when my parents tried to help me get sober. I didn't want it then. But it's the only place I knew that I could actually get help without causing any more harm on anybody that I loved. So I pull up to the rehab in this taxi. Actually, right before we turn the corner to the rehab, the taxi driver says, you know what, I have to go... Uh. I have to go turn the burners off at my house. I'm like, motherfucker, I just lived in Mexico for nine months. You're really going to try to pull this on me? Don't fool me now. I said, you know what? I'm about to throw up. Pull over right here. He pulled over. He thought I was going to get sick in his car, and he didn't want that. The moment he unlocked and opened the door, I knew... I knew I was safe. I grabbed my bag. I said, I'm good here. It was right around the corner to my rehab, so I walk up to my rehab, and the counselor that had helped me before, she knew I was gone, she knew I couldn't be found, walked out the front door. I ran into her arms, and I've never cried so hard. Or so I thought. She said, come in. She never judged me. She never asked questions. She just said, you come sit down. I need to duct tape you to this chair because I'm going to call your mom. I said, no, I'm not ready. She said, she is. She deserves to know that you're alive. So I sat down in that chair shaking, trying to humble myself, find the words to say to somebody that had given me life that I had... Taking something so important away from her, her daughter. I call my mom. I heard her voice and I instantly start crying. I said, Mom, there's silence. I thought she passed out. She said, Where are you? I can't stop crying, so the case manager takes my phone and she says, She's down here. We lived about 15 minutes away, and I swear my mom got there in about five minutes. I'll never forget that day. And since then, I have always vowed that I would always make the best of myself, not because I deserve it, but because the people around me deserve to see that I can. That it was worth me coming back because I had caused so much pain that now I wanted to give them so much joy through my actions. That was almost 10 years ago. I remember my sister told me that life was better without me. My relationships were rocky with them for a long time. But 10 years later, when somebody asks me, what is my vision? I go back to where I started and realize that the only thing that's pushing me forward is the desire to never go back where I came from. That why that people talk about that has to be so strong, that's mine. And if I can find mine in all of this depths of despair, and I hope that you don't have to go through a similar experience But I hope that you find the strength to find your why and your reason and your purpose before it gets to a point where it's too late. I call my life a series of divine interventions because there's nothing that could justify why I'm still here today other than the fact that my purpose is bigger than myself. So when somebody says they just can't find the reason to push through. They're not excited about it. Get excited about life, about living. There's somebody right now who didn't wake up this morning who had dreams that they're never going to be able to pursue. I do it for my mom. I do it for my sister, so I never have to hear, life is better without you. I do it for my mom to prove to her that she did a great job raising me. And that I am going to make something of myself and make sure that her and my family are taken care of without the struggle. I do it for my son, who I'm going to tell, dream big, son. I can't have him look at me and say, you didn't. You gave up. You set the standard, I'll just live up to that standard. I can't settle for that. Now knowing what it's like to have nothing, I crave everything. And that same love that was given to me in that instance by my grandmother has now been duplicated through every single thing that I have done in my life and every single person who has come into my life. So how am I so successful at what I do? because I want people to succeed. I want people to grow. So if you take anything from this today, it's find the thing that gives you pain, that pain point. Whether it's leaving your kids in the morning because you have to go to work and you would rather be home with them. Whether it's drowning in debt, working your 9 to 5, fully knowing that you barely have enough to pay for your rent. Maybe it's a marriage that you're stuck in because you have kids and it's toxic though. You see, I won't ever talk about something that I haven't personally been through myself. And although I'm not going to speak on all of those things right now, I feel like I opened up quite a bit. The vulnerability muscle is hard for me to stretch when it comes to my story because I know that not everyone will relate and I don't want them to. I just want to inspire the people who need what I have to say because I don't believe that I've gone through the things that I have in life and adapted this mindset and this positive outlook through all of this pain for nothing. I'm here to inspire and change the world and that starts right here, right now. So thank you for listening to my podcast and coming along on this journey with me. This is the kind of shit I want to hear. This is the kind of shit I want to say. The real, the raw, the vulnerable, the life-changing because I'm living proof that if I can do this, if I can change my life, if I can monetize on social media by just loving people, if I can quit my job and come home as a full-time entrepreneur as a high school dropout, if I can get 10 years sober after telling you that story. I hope this instills so much belief in you that you can do anything. I hope you have a good day. Stay tuned for the next podcast and I love you.